three years later, I did 400 jokes <laughs> on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel, I have a Facebook channel, and I have 25,000 views and some, you know, high-low volumes. I have about 500 followers on YouTube, but Facebook, I have about 4,000, 4 or 5,000, something like that. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. It's a live recording today, and I'm sitting here with a very interesting man. He is Senior Managing Partner in Guinness's Ventures. He is a lecturer at Columbia University. He's a former Managing Director at Sumitomo Mutsi Banking Corporation. He's an author, but the first time I saw him, he was a trainee at the Asteria Beach Hotel in Limassol. <laughs> Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys. Chris this. you called it fate. You said yes. something before, you call it fate. Yeah. I sometimes wonder, though, is, is it fate or is it our choice? Because life is the result of all our choices that we ever make. You could have come back yeah. here. You chose to stay. Yeah, you know, I um, I always do want to come back. Of course, you always get the pressure of your Cypriot parents. But they're not. They're well, going to come back. And, um, and I say, yeah, well, I'm going to be back another year, another year. But it's interesting because you get um, you get so uh, busy with life, having kids, and and my wife at the time she um, she was American, so she was in bed with her family, and uh, so I was I was kid around. For me to come back in the Cyprus, three things have to happen: my kids has to have to stay young because once they got 15 years old, they don't really want to move to another country. Second, I need to. Uh, convinced my wife at the time that I have a good job in Cyprus waiting for me. And the third is her parents have to die or come with us because she was very close to the parents. And none of the three happened at the same time and I ended up staying in the U.S. And that's basically, I don't know, it's fate, the decisions, points to come back did not, uh, you know, it, they weren't in line with other people's expectations. It's not just me coming back, but a whole family. So I had to uh, think about them. Mm, yeah. So it's kind of circum circumstances. Exactly. But do you think you would have been happier if you had come here? You know, same back, I don't know. I mean, uh, the only thing I can compare is for other, the other friends of mine that came back. Hector, for example, your husband, he came back. Yeah, know, but you, he was lucky You have to, to ask him. <laughs> he was lucky to have me. Yes, I know. <laughs> So again, it's if you come here and you find someone and this is your family, I guess you, you can't really, it's tough to compare unless you live two lives. But uh, looking back, I mean, if I had to change things, I guess I don't regret anything. I mean, this is what it is. I became Americanized. I, uh, I had the energy of New York, which always was very, very attractive for me. Sometimes I come to Cyprus and I stayed a little longer than three weeks, and I got a little bored sometimes because I wanted that energy. But on the other hand, if I didn't know about the energy, then Cyprus would be the place to be. And then maybe look at New York as the hustle and bustle of life, and you don't really relax. So, uh, But I like both worlds. I guess yeah. at the end of the day, I like to come to Cyprus and relax and see family and then go back and 
in, I think in, that's, in the rat race over there. That's so. the whole secret. I remember yeah. having drinks with you 35 years ago or 30 yes. years ago in Manhattan. Yeah. And that's, I, I, I love New York. I yeah. love exactly that, the hustle and bustle. But I'm not sure anymore today if yeah. I was, I wouldn't, I don't think I would want to live there. But yeah. I, I lived, it, lived there for a little and I know exactly what you mean. It's, 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 it's a bit of a, you're, you get a little addicted to this kind of place. Yeah. Especially when you're young and you are, you know, in life, I guess, you, you look around you and you always inspire other people doing things. And, but as we're getting older, uh, you know, you get, in, you get to this natural progression of now I've done everything, I've looked at everything, I, I did the marathons and the sprints. So now I want to relax and look back. So it's, I'm, I'm more attracted to Cyprus now than U.S., especially after COVID. Uh, I'm really seriously thinking of coming back and... Uh, with my recent loss of my long-term girlfriend, uh, Nikki, there's nothing really there too much except my children are there, grown children. So I'm really seriously thinking I'm coming and become more permanent in Cyprus, at least my retirement. So the next one or two years, I have to make that big decision to move ah, here. So this is being recorded, you know that. <laughs> exactly. People are going to hear that. No, no, Listen, I get the, you, I get you. And you know what? New York or the yes. U.S. is not going to go anywhere. You can go there anytime you want. Exactly. And you mentioned something before. Yeah. You mentioned the best of both worlds. Yes. And I think both of us, because I'm from Switzerland, I've been, I chose to live here, but I go to Switzerland whenever I want. You may choose to come back here at the time you chose to live in the US, but you can come to either place. I think we're very blessed. Yeah, no, it's interesting because my, ch- my children are still there. I have four, 35 years old, my daughter, my three sons, the 33, 30, and then 23. So definitely I have to go back and visit them. Maybe that's an incentive for them to come and visit me and enjoy the lovely island of Cyprus. So it could be a good win-win situation um, if I decide to permanently come here, which I'm, you know, I'm very more than 50-50 thinking at this point. So We would love to have you here. So, so from my side, it's a yes. <laughs> That's good. Um, let's go back a little bit. Yes. Um, let's go to the Japanese bank. You okay. worked for how many years did you work for... So in total 30 years with banking, I work at a U.S. bank and then a Canadian bank. But I ended up the last 20 years working for three different Japanese banks. The last one was last 10 years. So, of course, I lived in Japan. I speak a little bit of language. So it is a fascinated area. And I always, you know, that's why I jump from one Japanese bank to another because um, I like the culture. It's one of my favorite cities is Tokyo. So I was fascinated about the Japanese culture, and, and I knew them very well. I've been writing a book now about uh, Japanese culture, the business culture, try to uh, compete in the U.S. market. So, and that's basically the, um, what I've done the last 20 years before I retired from banking. You're mentioning culture, Japanese culture. And I, I've been to Japan once, but I don't know the Japanese so well. But what I do know is that they are very, very different to the Cypriots. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, you can, you can put a list of uh, the differences and you probably go three pages. <laughs> <laughs> so what is, the spe- what is so special about the Japanese culture then? It is, first of all, it is... Um, consensus-driven society. Nobody makes decisions which sometimes bad and sometimes good. Uh, so you don't rely on one person. Um, it is uh, the most honest people I've met. 
there's no crime basically in Japan. The only crime we hear is someone, maybe some mental situation, but there's no crime. It's very homogeneous there. So the culture is very, um, everybody is, you know, the one big thing, huge thing is like every uh, citizen of, of uh, Japan, they're very proud to be Japanese and they're proud of their work. Either you're a garbage man or you are a banker or whatever. They're very proud that they are, uh, they're actually uh, providing, uh, you know, they're providing services for the country. And because of that, they are very responsible. That's why we had so many prime ministers in Japan, except the last one is be the longest one. It's because when they feel that it's something, a mistake, they step down. How many cultures you see that the president, prime minister actually admits his mistake and steps down? You mean like people who blow up, blow up electricity plants? <laughs> <laughs> plants or other countries that are presidents forever, it doesn't matter. So they come out, they apologize to the whole nation, apologize, I made a mistake, so I'm going to have someone else come in. So they take responsibility of the actions. It's just an amazing culture about that. And uh, that fascinates me because uh, it is uh, something that we should take some uh, examples from uh, how they live. Now, there are also negatives because sometimes in, in the real world, you have to make decisions quickly. And Japanese are known in the business world are very slow and making decisions because of the consensus. They have to get to a, a team, they have to get into a room and talk to everyone. So sometimes they are losing competition to other more faster decision makers like Americans, for example. Yeah. Uh, they're doing well, though, yes. despite their, their slower decision making. I think yes. I have huge respect. And what you're saying about everybody is proud of what he does has got to do with leadership in any respect. Yes, they have this, this so-called pyramid. Uh, you know, when you start in any career, you're inspired to be the leader or the, uh, the manager of that. And, but what's interesting, there is no animosity. If somebody, as you, if you or one of your colleagues actually gets promoted, they, they support you right away. If uh, somebody, your colleague, it becomes your boss, immediately that's, the, that's how we've chosen him. And uh, that's probably the, one of the best type of promotions when your colleagues accept your promotion, even though you work with them. So they have this so-called path, I guess, to success. And the, it is designed that way. So at the end of the day, you work. Number one, you know, the, the career is number one for them. Unfortunately, sometimes career versus family. But they want to provide for the family and they want to move up the ladder. So there is a, a leadership scheme, they get the best out of the best to lead. So they end up actually having um, a very successful in what they do because of that. So the secret really is to be happy for others, because when you're happy for others, things go well for you as yeah, well. Exactly. It's, it's, it's kind of something that so many people don't understand. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. You know, think about a team, let's say any team, any sports team, you, you always have that leader. But if everybody aspires to the leader, everybody plays well. But if you start jealousy and everything else, the team actually collapses. So everyone accepts each position and everything else, and that's the better way. So yeah, that's kind of the Japanese. That's stuff. definitely a lesson to be learned and, yeah. and something to listen to. Yeah. You traveled a lot to Japan. Did you ever go anywhere else in Asia? Did you did you venture or move around in the in Asia? Yeah, yeah. Because I was um, I was a head of a big department in Japan, and we had many clients not only in the U.S. but in Japan. 
I traveled to China, Shanghai, Beijing. I traveled to Hong Kong. I was also in Thailand. I also in South Korea and few Asian places. Yeah, I, I know I went to Australia or down under. I know I went to New Zealand, but within the Asian region, I stayed there. And, uh, and we had clients. Clients are mostly manufacturing companies like the auto and the auto business and things like that. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you know, yeah. again, Australia and New Zealand are not going anywhere. And they're actually closer <laughs> from here now than they would be from the U.S. Exactly. So yeah. you just take an Emirates yeah. flight to go to Dubai and off you go to Sydney. Yeah. No problem. So that was kind of, a, that's a big, big part of your life, the Japanese uh, banks and the banking altogether. That's sort of defined your career. Yes. Uh, and, you know, the one thing about the Japanese, you know exactly what to do. I, I guess my character is such that works well with Japanese, with really well organized. Everything has to be perfection. I mean, if you look at any sushi meals, it's all perfectly put on your plate. And that's the whole culture. Everything they do, either they write a PowerPoint presentation or make sushi, <laughs> it has to be perfection. And I work well with that organized uh, way. And uh, so it did define uh, who I am. And I brought a lot of those traits into my teaching of, uh, you know, a lot of the young generation about how, you know, you know how organizing you have to be to get to present yourself. And, and so I learned a lot about how that, you know, that you know, helps with the others that are in the business of presenting and making a point. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Well, I have known you for many years and uh, I know like in my books, you know, I have different books, different pages yes. and you're a nice guy. You're a really nice person. You're kind. You have never, ever been arrogant as no matter how, yeah. how high you went. And you also have a very good sense of humor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about those jokes yeah. <laughs> because you have a YouTube channel. Yes. I, uh, it was by accident again. I, I, I was known as, you know, Elizabeth, I used to, uh, tell jokes when you're younger and we sit around, we laugh and the Cypriot way you sit at a table and you just talk, tell jokes all day long. And the jokes, Cypriot jokes, Greek or Cypriot jokes are more storytelling jokes. Instead of the American jokes, I look quick with a punchline. So this story is actually, uh, which is fascinating. I end up during COVID when you're sitting at home and I said, let me just tell a joke because I used to tell jokes. So I would send the video to my father, which he was a joke teller. And he loved it and everything else. And before you know, I spread it and I posted it. And people said, hey, we need more. And uh, three years later, I did 400 jokes <laughs> on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel. I have a Facebook channel. And I have 25,000 views and some, you know, high, low volumes. I have about 500 followers on YouTube. But Facebook, I have about 4,000, 4 or 5,000, something like that. And it's fascinating. But I think... Um, it's also a therapy for me. And, you know, I, you know basically uh, reaching out to Cypriots and have the Cypriot accent and everything else, and I'm getting all this feedback back. I feel like I'm in Cyprus sitting at a coffee shop talking, you know, telling jokes, I guess so. It's amazing what we can do to our mind. Yeah. I mean, especially, I think, during COVID. This is my <laughs> my result yeah. of COVID is the podcast. Exactly. Because when I couldn't travel anymore, I felt like I was missing a limb and I needed to, If I, I thought, if I can't travel, at least I can talk about it. Yeah. You were telling jokes and you were also telling me that you found your father passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah, he passed in January of 2021, so two years ago. But he had a joke book. Yes, he saw... 
It's another fascinating thing. My father, my grandfather started a joke book, my grandfather Christakis, in the 1960s. And then my father took that book and continued. So he wrote about more than 500 jokes, handwritten in a calendar. So when he died, I found those two books. And I, um, I was reading off his uh, books on many jokes that he wrote. And now recently I started publishing, I have volume one out that took, maybe 100 jokes, and I put it into volume one, and I'm going to eventually publish all of them. And, uh, yeah, it, it is in the family. It's a trade all the way to my grandfather. To well, But, like, storytellers more yeah. than jokes, yeah. and they're funny jokes, I guess, things like yeah, that. Yeah, I think they say that yeah. when you – also when you travel. When you travel, you become a storyteller. Yeah. But your jokes are in Greek. Is there any <laughs> any any future plans of uh, – because many jokes cannot be translated, but is there any uh, – are there some that you may translate and do in English as well? Well, you know what I do now? I have an English subtitle, which is not, doesn't give you the effect of a, of a delivery. But I do have a, believe it or not, I do have an English YouTube channel, but I haven't developed it as much because I saw more, uh, I guess, uh, feedback. Yeah, I tell jokes. They know me in the U.S. telling jokes in English. I could tell every Greek joke. Of course, culture is different, so you got to choose the ones that uh, make sense. Cypriots are known to tell the punchline is not as important as the delivery of a joke with the American, a more punchline-driven society. So, And believe it or not, I wrote uh, my thesis on in my graduate about different culture with different humor and what works. And I was fascinated about, you know, what makes someone laugh or smile in, in a storytelling. And, and it affects different cultures differently, how they grow up. So. Yeah, that's so true because um, I, I remember when I watched the big fat Greek wedding movie for the first time, as is, I consider myself a Cypriot, I've been yes. here for forever. You know, you when you know the culture, it's even funnier. Yes, exactly. And on those jokes that you tell, they may be funny for somebody, but for somebody who knows the culture, they are hilarious. Yes, exactly. You are a lecturer at um, Columbia University. Do you? Tell jokes when you teach those guys? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing because uh, to be effective on lectures, usually lectures, academic lectures, sound boring. So the best thing I uh, I do every lecture, I prepare for every lecture, and I use this so-called intro, I-N-T-R-O concept, which basically I learned through my trades in, as a teacher. Intro, I stands with anything you start in front of people, you have to start with an interesting story. Some interest. That's the I and intro. The reason is intro because introduction, any introduction of anything is the most fascinated area. When you get to the meat, people get bored. So you always have to keep your lectures an introduction until the end. So I is interesting. N is the need. So your joke or whatever, the story, a funny story or a personal story has to feed, has to feed the subject you're going to discuss. So there is a need for that. It's going to be natural progression from your Funny story into the the T's time intro. So uh, you have to keep it short. My lectures, most lectures that designed for two and a half hours, two and a half hours too long to be honest. So I rather just bring a short an hour and a half. People can actually, especially specialize. The range is the R, which you can't go all over the place. You have to pick a subject or two and stick to them because it's more effective in learning instead of being all over the place and introducing new concepts. So I'm trying to get into more. And they always the organization. Organization meaning you got an hour and a half, 
the, the, the job has to be five minutes and then you go into the middle of the thing. So everything, you look at the time and make sure that it flows very well organized. So when you finish the lecture, the audience have this understanding at least 70, 80% of the lecture because it's organized, it's short, it's sweet, it's start with an interesting story, it captures the audience. So all these things. So every time I sit down and lecture, I do this. And so I do introduce a lot of jokes that they're related. And I even write them down. So if I want to talk about leadership, I have one joke. If I want to have talk about investment banking, another joke, that kind of thing. So that's the... Ah, interesting. <laughs> I've actually I've written, I've written it down because people in today's world have a very, very short uh, attention span. Exactly. Exactly. They don't want to listen. Yeah, I can. You can see it, like those some of those videos when you when you do yeah. analysis, and I can see it from my podcast. Yeah. you can see how long people listen. Yes, yes. Um, so if you make it interesting and a little funny, I think yeah. it helps. Yeah, no, it's not funny. You get people, audience. I remember one quick quick story. I was sitting in front of uh, a lot of uh, people, three hundred people, and we're talking a very boring subject. It was about uh, investing in in some very specialized. Uh, investment, which is some corporate loans. I don't want to bore you what it is, but it was very boring, to be honest. So we had the two lawyers, tax lawyers, speak first. And you can tell people on their phones, people moving around, nobody's listening. And it was my turn to speak. So to get the audience, I just, in front of this is on the Hilton, which is about there were 400 people out there. I took the microphone and I said, uh, um, somebody, you know, somebody bought a donkey from somewhere else. And they hear this donkey out of nowhere and they stopped. What is this saying? What are you talking to say? And I continue. This guy bought a donkey from another, from another guy for uh, 500 euros. And it's just now that, that captures it. What is this donkey has to do with anything? And that was the my point. So I don't know if I want to finish the story. I want but, you to finish the story. So yes. It says somebody bought a donkey for 500, $500, I guess I said. And... Um, and when he was ready to get the donkey, the guy says to me, look, sorry, I, uh, the donkey died. Do you still want it? Yeah, I want it. What are you going to do with it? I'll think about it. It's mine. So they brought the dead donkey, unfortunately. So the guy didn't tell anyone was dead. He took pictures of the donkey and it says he set up a raffle ticket, like a lotto, to win a donkey. $2 to win a donkey. And he told the guy, look, what did you do with the donkey? Finds him in the street. I says, well, I had a lotto and I sold, I, I said, Two dollars to win a donkey, and about thousand people actually bought a raffle. Mm-hmm. I said that's that's a lot of money. You made two thousand dollars. Yes. So any complaints? Yes, the winner, and I gave his two dollars back. <laughs> and the reason I was saying that because a lot of investments, and uh, is all investments you you find you you can invest in dead donkeys, I guess. And that was the point of the thing. And and that was a fascinated uh, discussion because after the lecture. Everyone's walking around and they they talk about these dead donkeys being bad investments. Yes. And they use the dead donkey throughout the day, even the lectures later, using my dead donkey anatomy. You gotta be careful, dead donkeys out there, you don't wanna invest. So that was kind of the fascinating story. But nobody (laughs) nobody asked for raffle tickets. Exactly. (laughs) Wow. But this is a this is a great story because this is so true. Yes. So many people blindly buy something. Yeah, and they They have have schemes and everything. Yeah. And 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 you know some I mean some some stuff is even a scam and they still believe them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's actually a good. I wasn't going to go into that, but now let's go into that. How how can you how can people protect themselves from Getting scammed. I mean, that's a big question. You're not the... the... Well, no, it's always, uh, you have to, for, 
especially if it's an investment, you don't know what it is. If it's real estate and you know it's a building and you can see and you can kick it and look at it and go inside and you get the titles and you got the lawyers, that's fine. I think that's I don't think there's many scams there because you already touch it, you see it, it's yours. You see the title, you get a lawyer, you get a third party. But if it's an investment, you don't know. I have this idea, we're gonna invest in this small company in Uganda, whatever, some other thing. So the further, the more exotic it is, of course, uh, it smells and looks like that. It doesn't sound like it. So there, it could be a good business. There, probably have to do more work. You have to do more review. Maybe you get third parties. You have a reference, someone, someone already invested. So it's a little more work. But it is it's very difficult for sure that um, to choose which ones are, you know, uh, you know, they're not good or not. So. It is, you need to do a lot of work. Now, mm-hmm. the one thing I tell my uh, students, because I do teach investment, investing, is that every time you look at an investment, you have to ask yourself three questions. The first question is, okay, how does this investment did last three years, four years? Of course, it's brand new investment. You don't have that story, so probably you shouldn't do it. But if it has this history, so the first thing is called is trend analysis. You know, how well? So you can tell how it behaved. And then you can do your own if it continues. The second question, how is that compared to another investment? Real estate or some other, or buying a stock or buying Amazon, buying Tesla, whatever. And the third one is how they do versus expectation. Because everyone before they invest have to have some expectation. So if you ask those three questions and have some answer for you, if you don't know, some third party, then that would be, uh, you know, you, you, you're on your way to make a decision if you want to invest or not. But can you go by the saying that if it sounds too good to be true, it usually is too good? It usually isn't true. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, 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 it is a most difficult thing for sure. Whoever presents to, presents to you the investment, you have to know who is that person presents it. So if it's too good to be true, probably isn't, isn't that good. Yeah. Uh, in general, you have to start with more like a defensive mechanism because this is your money, this is your work. But uh, at the end of the day, if you decide to make, you make sure you get to answer those three questions. Do they have a history? Is this making money the last five years? Is that How do you compare this with something else? Because if something else is better, why would I do yours? I could do something else. And the expectation is huge. Everybody's expecting they're going to buy Bitcoin and it's going to take off, become millionaires. That's a little bit false, uh, you know, Utopia. false. Yeah. So those are the things you have to, to okay. work out. Okay. Yeah. Um, Talking about investment and new businesses, let's talk a little bit about Guinness. Guinness's Ventures. What's yeah. Guinness's Ventures? Yeah, it is an idea. When I, um, we have about 12 Cypriots in, 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 uh, in the US, which they did exactly what I did, went to study and stayed. So we get together once in a while, actually, we play uh, poker or games once, uh, once a month. So in, in this poker discussion, I says, hey, guys, was in my our late 50s, early 60s, and everybody's successful in general. One guy's a lawyer, another guy's a marketing person, another one is a finance person like me. And we sat down and said, look, why don't we get all our money together, create this entity, and help Cypriot innovation startups? Because we are fascinated about the, the a lot of Cypriot young, young guys in their 20s they came with great degrees, great ideas, good ideas. They work at the University of Nicosia, University of Cyprus, but the idea stays in this country, never gets out. 
since we have the network in the U.S., let's find pretty good ideas and bring them into the U.S. So we created Kinesis Ventures. We assembled about a million dollars between nine of the 12. <clears throat> we set up a company and we saw early success. We invested our first investment. It was a small company and managed by one individual who was very good with computers. He created a 3D image of things. We took that to the UK and then the US, and this $2 million company now is worth $35 million in two years. Oh, wow. So after that, we got all inspired. Okay, let's look at other things. So we invested in the food business. Uh, there's one individual was making a food diagnostics business. Take a, a, a letters, and from letters, you can find if it's pesticides on it, if it's uh, listeria or E. coli, uh, which is very unique. There's nothing out there in the, believe it or not, that does it so quick. I said, that's a great idea. Let's bring it to the U.S. Now they start selling in the U.S. So a lot of ideas. Now we used up our million dollars. I said, okay, let's expand it. So we came in the in Cyprus about a year ago and we raised money from third-party individuals from a uh, high network individual in Cyprus. So we raised uh, close to $5 million more. So now we created a really good company. Now we're investing in ideas. Now, having said that, we looked up 100 ideas and we invested in eight companies. So Kinesis Ventures is a, it's an investment vehicle that invests in Cypriot companies with bound to the U.S. So that's the real test. Mm-hmm. It might be well good for this period, but coming to the U.S. is our pick. So we'll consult with them, tell them how to create this package. They are... We put money into it. We hire people. We set up a company in the U.S. for those companies. And then that's how we get them to the next commercialization level. Yeah. So if there's somebody listening to us who has a really good idea, yeah. not anything, but a good idea, yes. and it will be vented, it's not you're not going to just send a check. Yeah, no. It, it, we it, Just to quickly, it has to meet five criteria. Uh, and it's very basic. Idea has to be good. Oh, my gosh. It yeah. has to be a wow yeah. factor. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you have something like that. Okay. Well, that's no, That's not enough. So the second thing, you take this idea, how do I make money with this idea? It's called the business model, the revenue model. How do I make money? It might be a good idea, but maybe it's too expensive to, uh, you know, to get it commercialized. So the second one has to be. The third one is timing. It, it, it has to be a need for this. Like uh, COVID, there's so many new companies created because of the environment and everything. So it has to, it has a timing is important. The fourth one is team. It's very important. The team has to be good. We have to, you know, put support to the support the team. And the fourth, the fifth is funding. Though we can give them the first money, but we need always looking, okay, when we get to the next level that we have to raise more money because the first money does not enough. If you accelerate any more money to be, continue funding. So always look at that possibility. What's the next milestone to get new funding, maybe from someone else. So those five things are very important and they, they all of them are uh, they need to check the boxes. If any one of those five don't work, probably won't do the business. But people yes, could yes. get in touch with you. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna we're gonna put the link of Guinness's Ventures, and we're gonna put the joke link, the yes. the, the YouTube link. <laughs> exactly. Um, we are also this. You're an author. Your books are. Where are your books available? Yes. Yeah, so my first the two books. They're more academic books, textbooks. And they are, they are used at Columbia University, Sydney Hall University, Fordham, a bunch of universities in, in, uh, in Baru College. We use those. Those are investment-type books. If somebody wants to know what to invest, risk assessment, risk analysis. Then I did a second book very specialized about 
someone is starting a banking career, a really banking career, so it gives you all the uh, training to be a banker. So those are more academic. I have a third book, which is design, and it's cheaper because academic books, as you know, textbooks are very expensive mm-hmm. because that's how they are. But the third book, which is going to be out in September, it's purely designed for trade, for someone like anyone here in the street that says, okay, I'm a young guy. I want to know how to do a budget, a planning. I want to, I want to do a business plan or something. So uh, the numbers side of a business plan, not the marketing side. So we teach them how to value companies, how to do uh, So that will be more accessible to the public. Okay. Where the academic, you got to be in the part of the university. You got to go, you got to be a student to do it. And it's going to be on Amazon. It's going to be on barsonnobles.com and everything like that. So that book is going to come September 4th. Public is going to be priced well, $30, $40, where the academic books are $100 or more. And the student has to get it because it's part of their career and, uh, you know, yeah. so that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, time is flying when you're having, time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. We're getting to the end. I'd like to end this podcast, sure. but I don't want, and I don't want to make you sad, but I yes. would like to end it with a tribute to Nikki, yes. your, the, the love of your life. Just say whatever you can. <laughs> and uh, yeah. because I know that um, you did have a wonderful time together and sometimes yeah. life is just very cruel. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's for those that don't know, Nikki was, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I, I was married 20 years. I got divorced and I met Nikki in 2003. Uh, she's Greek American. And we spent uh, for 20 years, 2023, so 20 years together. Um, and she was my, uh, you know, my partner. And um, she was the kindest person ever, you know what I mean? Even when she died, uh, and I, I, I saw a list after she was diagnosed with cancer for six years, a list of what to do before she dies, and all 10 items was nothing about her, it was about other people. So she always tried to help other people. She never had any children. She, uh, because she felt that she was unselfish, uh, selfish of her to have children or something. I don't know if she had. But anyway, so we are together for 20 years. She passed, unfortunately, in, in June. Uh, and um, it was a huge hole in my heart. Uh, because I remember after the funeral, you get all, you know, you, you get your sadness and everything. You see people and then you go home uh, to an empty house. And I say, oh my gosh, it is. I miss her so much. And I can tell you a story here. You guys, you need to see your family. You should reach out to your parents. It is a very important thing because once you lose them and you see the, you know, the, the, the value, the impact, and it had a huge impact. And I, I thought that I can't really continue, but I know she wanted me to continue and close this door of sadness because I know I'm going to see her one day. So, uh, so that gives me solace to know that I have to continue. I mean, I'm still young. So that's one of the reasons I have to get that next chapter. How do you live with without Nikki? And uh, it could be maybe coming to Cyprus or maybe something else. So it is a very sad story, but um, it is, it's, unfortunately, everybody has to go through this. Losing a loved one is, you don't wish on anyone to do that, but it's how you deal with it, I guess, going forward. So. so she's gonna be missed. The lesson is, hug your loved ones when you can. Yes. And um, I know that she's listening to us somewhere. So um, that's it. Thank Thank you you so much for being on Most Memorable Journeys. Chris, (laughs) if you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. 
You will find all the information in the show notes. <laughs>